Wildcat Canyon Road, those of you who know this area, and to make our way up that hill. And as we turned the corner, just before we turned the corner, one of my friends uh, asked me or made a comment, and I said something about, uh, well, that reminds me of what Paul said was my response to, to what he said, and I quoted a passage of Scripture. And, um, and then he turned to me and he said, he said, so, by the way, they, they know I'm a pastor, um, what do you think about Jesus? Now, um, this is just as we're going up the hill, <laughs> and I'm out of shape, and you got to know that this is a great group of guys. Uh, I love these guys. We talk and enjoy one another. They become my close friends. I pray for them all the time. People who know me know about them and pray for them, and I pray sometimes that they would ask me that question, right? And so here we are in the moment, and of course, they asked me the question, and I had just been thinking to myself, I made it this far, when we go up this hill, which is what commonly people will do, is I'll just drop off the back so I don't have to try to get up the hill with everybody because I'm so out of shape. Uh, So we start up the hill, and he asked me this question, and my immediate prayer was, Lord, if you want me to share the gospel right now, you have to get me up this hill. (laughs) And so I prayed that prayer, and we started to go up the hill, and somehow my wheels kept spinning. And I'm gasping, gulping in air as we're going up the hill, which I'm sure he was, the, my friend was enjoying quite a bit. Um, but there were, you know, eight behind, eight people behind us, and we're having this conversation about who Jesus is. And it went on for 25 minutes. And people are chiming in from the back, and we're kind of going back and forth. And we got to the top, uh, and we all split apart. And I, I just sort of said, what happened? That was amazing. Somehow I got up the hill, and somehow I was able to get the gospel out uh, for 25 minutes. I, I thought, man, that was Saturday. I thought, I don't have to preach tomorrow. I've already had my opportunity, you know, with, with my friends. It was such a beautiful, beautiful time, and um, it was a privilege, privilege and a blessing to be able to do that. But isn't it like that? When you get those opportunities, there's people in your life that you love so much and you care about. They're your friends, and, and Jesus you love so much and you care about, and you want to share what you think about Jesus with these people um, because you think it might be helpful and, and, and then you're praying for them, praying for opportunities. And, and the opportunity will always come at the worst moment, right? When you're not ready or you have to go up a hill and you're out of breath or what somebody shared with me afterwards, she had an opportunity when she got out of sh- surgery one time and she was still drugged up and the person said, so tell me about Jesus. And she said, Lord, really right now? You know, uh, I can hardly speak. So it always happens. And this sermon series that we're starting today is about that moment. It's about that moment when you have the opportunity to talk to somebody about the Jesus that you love to somebody you love, about the Jesus that you love. And I know, I, you know, I'm always encouraged talking with many of you how much you love your friends and your relatives and your coworkers, and, and you, your, your heart is really in it, your neighbors, and you want to have these opportunities, and you wonder, what do I say? Um, and we're going to present during this series kind of a clear articulation of the gospel, a way to think about the gospel, which I believe is very true to the New Testament uh, understanding of the gospel. But I want to just say at the same time, Um, While it may feel sometimes like a little bit of a formula, I am not generally a formulaic kind of person. I don't go in for the, you know, the three points that will get the gospel across. You know, here are the four laws or whatever it is. Um, At the same time, part of teaching, part of learning, part of us growing is to absorb sometimes some some simple ways of saying things and, and doing things so that when the time comes, we're ready. And we don't have to just sort of fish around. And, and what I would encourage you to do is to think about what, what I'm going to share with you, the way of sharing the gospel, but then also to think about um, 
Think about the other ways that you've heard. And what I often do is I use a myriad of ways. I, I, you know, depending on the circumstance, we have to flow with the moment and sort of pay attention to what people are thinking, what they're saying. We have to have that kind of sensitivity. And so I want to encourage you, by, by no means am I saying we should have some formulaic sort of repetition of this is what the gospel is. We've got to be in the moment. It reminds me of what Jesus said to his disciples. He said to them, um, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, this is in Luke, um, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. Um, and, and he's talking about kind of a court environment there. We often don't find ourselves, because we're in a country where we have freedom, we don't find ourselves in court, you know, um, trying to defend the gospel. But we find ourselves in the court of public opinion as people are asking us, well, what do you believe anyway? Okay, I've, I've gotten to know you, you're different. What do you believe? And, and Jesus says to his disciples, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And part of the way that we we, we get ready for that is to think through what is the gospel. And so we want to examine some of the contours of that um, as we do this. So um, I'm going to actually just share the gospel with you right now. So we've got this kind of setup here where I can do this. This is our napkin theology. That's what we're calling this uh, particular series. And let me get everything set up here. This is the kind of theology that you should be able to put on a napkin. Uh, if you're in a cafe, somebody says, okay, what do you believe anyway? And this is a way for you to describe what your, what your beliefs are. How is that looking? We're good? See my hand there? All right. Now, we're describing the good news, which is, which is the gospel. And it, this comes from an understanding of the way that the word gospel is used in the New Testament. And the first way that the gospel is used is in relation to the word kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Can you see that okay? No, I'm above. How are we now? Almost. Okay. The gospel of the kingdom, and one of the great verses on that is Matthew 4, 23, talks about Jesus in Israel. He goes around uh, preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing people as he does that. And these are people who are living in in a pretty rough world, a a broken, hurting world, and and Jesus comes on the scene, and he has this wonderful message for them. And it's kind of like the world that we live in right now. We live in a world that's full of hurt and brokenness, and pain, and suffering. We all know what that's like. We've all experienced it deeply in relation to other people, um, and we've experienced it deeply in relation to, uh, to uh, ourselves. And by the way, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm not an artist, and so I'm showing you that if I can do it, you can do it, those of you who aren't artists, okay? So I could get a really fancy drawing up here, but that would, that would not be a good thing. So Jesus comes on the scene preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and what he's really doing is he is giving the people a hopeful vision. It's, he's, he's, in a sense, allowing people to dream again. You know, this broken world seems like it's, it's fallen apart there's, there's nothing good to think on. And Jesus comes on the scene. He starts preaching this incredible message. And it gives people the freedom to dream again that maybe the world could get better. And right after this verse in Matthew, he talks about, uh, the ser- he goes through the Sermon on the Mount. 
And there's, you know, people have said there's never been anything more beautiful written than the Sermon on the Mount and the vision that Jesus has for healing of a broken world. And so we get that vision and we love it. The problem, though, is that even though we understand the vision, we can't seem to bring it about in the world in our own strength. So the good news, though, is that Jesus is not only the proclaimer of the kingdom, but he's the king of the kingdom as well. And 1 Peter 1, 2 Peter 1, 11 says that uh, an entrance into this kingdom is richly provided by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So if we wanted a symbol for that, we could choose the crown. Turns out the problem that we have in getting into the kingdom and bringing the kingdom about is that we worship the wrong things. We worship things like money. We worship sex. We worship relationships sometime. Um, We worship power. Um, A lot of times, at the end of the day, what we're really worshiping is our own selves. We're worshiping ourselves. We're putting ourselves at the center of our lives and and, and letting that be the controlling force of our decision-making. But as it says in 2 Peter 1.11, Jesus comes along and he is Lord. And as Lord, he takes the place of all those other idols. He becomes the central focusing force in our lives so that those idols uh, can be brushed aside. Now, that's good, but, and we may want to pursue Jesus as our Lord, but we find that even so, we fail and we, we fall back into the pursuit of, of sinful things. And so sin continues to be a problem for us. Um, we fall back into our idols, into the pursuit of money or, or, or thinking things that God wouldn't want us to think, doing things. That's the definition of sin. Anything that God wouldn't want us to do, that didn't intend for us to do, that's what sin is. And sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from, because God is holy, and his wrath is against sin, and he, he, he stands ready to, to allow that wrath to come against sin, except for the other part of the good news is that Jesus is not only Lord, but he's also Savior. And Jesus went to the cross and died an atoning sacrificial death on the cross to take into himself the punishment for sin, and so he cancels out our sin. And by that way, Jesus provides an entrance for us into the kingdom of heaven. Now, this wonderful gift that God has given, this entrance, this work of Jesus Christ is referred to in Ephesians as the kindness of God. It's the the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 7 through 8. Um, In those verses, it talks about this kindness, this work of Jesus being a gift to us. And you have to use your imagination a little bit here, but that is a gift. When we think about religion, we often think about what we do for God to earn his favor and what we might do for others to earn their favor. And have we done enough? People always say, well, I think I'm good enough and God will accept me. But the gospel totally turns that all around. The gospel comes and says that God's going to accept you first and bring you in as a gift, and then he's going to bring about change in your life. And so the kindness of God is an expression. It's It's a gift of God, not by our doing. That's what it says in Ephesians 2, 7, 8. We can't earn our way to God. We can only receive it as a gift. 
Now, have you ever received a gift and then left it in a box, unopened? No, nobody would do that, right? We always open a gift when somebody gives us a gift. And how, how do you open this gift? In Ephesians 2, 7 and 8, the gift is opened, it says, by faith. By faith. That's how we open this gift. We put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord, the one who casts out all those idolatries, the one who becomes the central focus of our lives, and then as our Savior, the one who died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And so we open this gift, and what's inside? Well, what we see that's inside of this gift is a whole new identity and a whole new purpose to our lives. I'm going to symbolize that with a ring. And there's a couple of verses that we can look at. Ephesians 2, 19 and 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Now this is a signet ring that I'm drawing here. And a signet ring is the ring that a king or a ruler would wear. And it was a symbol of his authority. Sometimes when he had something to do, in another place, he would give this ring to one of his citizens, and that citizen would become an ambassador to that foreign place. And that citizen would carry the authority of the king. And so he would go into that place with the authority of the king. And so the authority that we carry is not our own authority. It's the authority of the king, Christ. Ephesians 2.19 says that we are now citizens of heaven after coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's the new identity we have. Our citizenship is not of this fallen, broken, messed up world. We are citizens of a new place. We are members of the household of God, and that's an identity statement. That's a statement about who we are, and it's a very rich kind of statement that we lean into for the rest of our lives. We'll take all of our lives to really understand all that that means, but it changes the way we view ourselves, and it changes the way that we view the people around us. So that's the identity piece. But we also have a new purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. So just like that subject of the king who would carry the signet ring to a foreign land, we carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a, a broken and hurting world. And so we get the circle comes around. We get to bring it back to this world. Only now we're sent with help because God pours out his Holy Spirit to help us. We've been given the scriptures so that we, we know what to do, we're guided, and we have the church, the community of faith, to help us as we go back into the world to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, to bring about the vision that Jesus initially set out to make happen in the world. And so we can see transformation through that. This is the story of God, and the gospel is an invitation for you to bring your life, the story of your life, into the story of God, to become a citizen and an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And the way that we do that is by faith, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, thank you for writing such a beautiful story across your creation. And we want to be faithful to it. We want to be part of it. We want to be citizens. We want to know deeply that we are members of your household. And that changes the way we view ourselves and the people around us. We want to know deeply that we're your ambassadors, that, that you have a reason, a purpose for us in this world to, to be part of the redemption of all things. 
And so enlist us in your work. Guide us and, and show us which way to go. And we pray, too, for anybody who is with us this morning who has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe, maybe it suddenly makes sense this morning, or maybe as we keep talking, it makes sense. And we know that, that you are capable of hearing us. And so for any of you who may be in that situation and you're, you're wanting to place your faith in Jesus Christ, know that Jesus hears you, God hears you right now. You can speak to him and say, just simply, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to be a citizen of your kingdom, and I want to be your ambassador in the world. And, and know that the, the, your maker, the God of the universe, hears you say that prayer. And he calls you into the family. And he wants to empower you and change you and grow you and transform you and heal you and make you an agent of his grace and mercy in the world. So, Lord, we thank you for this goodness that you've poured out on us. And we thank you because of the work of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to come back to that um, another time. We're going to come back to, to that over the weeks and kind of look at it. But what we're going to do in the process is focus on each one of the pains over the next week. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about kingdom, and then next week we'll talk about king. And um, so you don't have to look at my drawings there. I asked one of our uh, artists, who um, is uh, much more capable than I, to uh, go ahead and draw this up for us. And so um, if you want to, for the rest of our time, you can look at something that's a little more attractive than what I drew there. Um, and those of you who are artists will probably want to emulate that more than emulating what, what I did. Um, and, and there's one other thing about this that's really interesting is that this is not only for the person who is curious about the faith, that's interested in, in the things of God, but it's also for all of us as we're growing in the Lord uh, the healing of the gospel comes from, from the, knowing that God is the kingdom of God, from knowing Jesus as king, from understanding grace and understanding our identity and, and the purpose of our lives. It's an ongoing process of healing, and we don't have time to really get into that uh, in this series. But in one of our other Gospel Academy classes, we teach about how this understanding of the gospel can bring about healing and continued transformation in our lives. So this isn't just a one-time thing to put on a napkin. This is all of, all of life. Now, would you open with me to Matthew chapter 4? Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And we're going to spend just a little bit of time talking about the kingdom. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to give one to you. It's on page 689 in that particular Bible that we hand out. Matthew 4, chapter 23. And let's explore this concept of the kingdom for a little bit. And you don't need to remember all this. Um, it wouldn't fit on a napkin if you tried to put everything else I'm saying today on a napkin. You'd have to have a paper towel at least or something larger. Uh, but, but this is going to give you some background material so that you can be thinking about this as you learn to share the good news in this way or in whatever way you, you decide. The words gospel and kingdom really hearken back to the book of Isaiah and in the Old Testament. And in the history of the book of Isaiah, the people of Israel had been made captive and they were in Babylon in a foreign land. That should sound familiar. And they were under a foreign king, right? That should sound familiar. Uh, and the good news that, that Isaiah preached to them was that they were going to be brought back home where they were intended to be, and they would be brought back under the authority of the rightful king, the good king, who would make a society for them that would be as, as God intended it 
to be. And so we could look in Isaiah 40, for example, and hear the, the words of gospel and kingdom. Um, Isaiah is preaching to the, the, the Israelites in exile. Verse 9, he says, Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. That's gospel, good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. And that, that word kingdom is really about the reign of God. When God is in control and everything is as it should be. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. So he's a powerful God, but he's also a sensitive, gentle God. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So that's the Old Testament background, and we remember that we too are foreigners, as we've learned. We're, we're foreigners in a foreign land, and there's a, there's a king ruling this earth. The Bible talks about Satan being the ruler of this world. There's a king who's ruling this earth, but we belong to a different king from a foreign land, and we're sent into this land um, to bring about transformation. Now, a lot of us, when we think about uh, heaven, when we think about the kingdom of heaven, when we think about the, the way things should be, um, we may have some measure of hope that that could happen, but what typically happens to us as people is we go along and our hopes get dashed, right? We may dream of the good that could be, but we are tempted to lose sight of the possibility of it. I remember in 10th grade, if you grew up in the United States, you probably read The Lord of the Rings in 10th grade. Uh, and The Lord of the Rings is a book about a number of boys who are in a shipwreck, and they end up on an island. And I remember in 10th grade reading that book, and I thought to myself, oh, this is the best book ever. It would be so great to be marooned on an island with a bunch of other boys and just do whatever you want. They're making their own society. And then you turn the page all of a sudden, and everything goes to pot. They start getting on each other, and they start fighting, and then somebody gets killed, and then it just turns into hell on earth on this island, right? And I thought to myself, oh, that is, isn't that just the way? As people, we can have the vision, but we can't bring it about. And we tend to go back into harming one another and hurting one another. And, and, and our temptation is to despair in the midst of that. And Jesus comes along and he enables us to dream again. To dare to think about the possibility that maybe things could be made right. Jesus comes on the scene, little baby. He's being pronounced as the king. There's already a king in the land, Herod. So, so, so Jesus has to go to Egypt, and then he comes back, and he comes to Nazareth, and he, he grows. And then right before the, the verse that we're looking at, he faces Satan in the desert, and he has victory over Satan in the desert. And then right after that, he starts on this mission of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, preaching this vision, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee. Galilee was probably about 300,000 people then, 200 little different villages. And so Jesus is going from village to village, and he's teaching in their synagogues. And it's hard to understand the difference between teaching and preaching, but possibly on some level he's teaching to people who already kind of understood at least the Old Testament, and he's proclaiming the gospel. That would be more for people who didn't have any concept of it. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains 
and those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Imagine all these broken people suffering in a messed up world, and Jesus comes on, and now they can dream again, and it's really happening. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. You see, Jesus comes on the scene and he gives us the freedom to dream again because he starts proclaiming this kingdom, which is describing how things were meant to be and how they should be. And he comes with power to bring it about. And so at, at, at bottom, what we are as followers of Jesus Christ, we are a people of hope. Do you see that? We are a people of hope. Every day we come across people of despair. Some try to hide it and they put the glossy exterior on and some don't. You know, you have those people at work who are just always in despair and then those who are never in despair, but you know there's despair under the surface. There's all kinds of despair that we encounter, right? There's, there's this romantic person who just has this vision of how life should be and it's never even close to it and they're just in sort of perpetual despair. Um, I think of, you know, artist Vincent Van Gogh or something. There's the idealist, you know, who wants to, who, who, who has the, the romantic vision and wants to make it happen. And so we launch out in life and we try to get the job that will change the world. And, and we raise our kids to change the world. And we're idealists. We're going to actually make it happen. And then it doesn't happen. And so we've, we have the temptation to fall into despair. And then there's the toiler, the despair of the toiler. Um, we looked at this in the book of Ecclesiastes. A person who gets up every morning at the same time and goes to the same job and seems to be making no difference in the world. And eventually it just becomes so despairing. And then there's the philosopher. Somebody literally said to me recently, my life is meaningless. Direct quote. My life is meaningless. So after thinking about it, considering all that's going on, I have determined that my life is meaningless. There's despair all around us. And we are a people, if we're following Jesus Christ, we are a people of hope. Hope for a world that is in all kinds of despair. That's the message of the gospel. Uh, hope for the romantic, hope for the idealist, for the philosopher, for whatever it is. Jesus comes on the scene and he brings hope to a people in despair. And the hope is this, that there is a kingdom that is coming and it's already here, and in that kingdom, everything is as it should be. That's the hope of the gospel. Now, I know that many of you have that hope, and you would love to share that hope with the people in your lives. Because I hear you say it. I hear you say it, and I hear you say that you're frustrated that there are lack of opportunities. I hear you say sometimes that you wish you would have seized on opportunities that have come. We're all struggling in the midst of our imperfections to follow Jesus Christ. One of the key things that we need to do is pray in advance of being able to share the hope that we have. So I want you to think of your friends. Think of your friends, those who are far from God, that their sin has kept them still separated from God. Make a list in your mind of those people you would consider friends. I want you to think of your relatives. Uh, many of us have relatives that we've been praying for for years and years and years. Think of that list of your relatives in your mind. And Some of you have coworkers that you've been getting to know, and you've really fallen in love with them for 
lack of a better term. You, they're in your heart. They're your friends. And, and you know you see them every day. And, and you want to be a part of the healing that they need in their lives. Think of those names. Think of those people. Think of the people on your block, up and down the street, uh, people who you run into as you're on your way to work or coming home from work or over the weekend. Um, think of their names. Think about who they are. Sometimes you get a window into the struggles, the despair that they may be facing. I want you to think about all those people. Think about real names of people right now. Now, I've been working with um, the high school group at Albany High, and this high school Christian club was started by a Korean church, and so they've been teaching me about Korean prayer. And we're going to practice a little bit of Korean-style prayer this morning. The way that the Korean-style prayer is for everybody to pray at the same time. So I'm going to stretch this a little bit. Some of you will be comfortable with this because it's what you're used to. But I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you or somebody around you, maybe a group of people. I'm going to give you a minute or so to pray, just to say the names of the people that you have thought about as I've been talking about your friends and your relatives and your coworkers and your neighbors. I'm going to invite you to turn to the person next to you and just take turns saying those names and praying for those people. This is Koreans. And the amazing thing, always reminded about how big God is because he can hear all those prayers at the same time. It's a beautiful thing. So let's do that right now, just a minute or so, and then I'm going to call us back. So turn to somebody next to you and pray for the people in your heart that you would love to be able to share the message of hope with. And if you are a seeker this morning, then I encourage you just to use this time to say to God something like, God, would you show yourself to me if you're out there? I want to be open to that. Would you show yourself to me? God, we thank you uh, that you know all these people. You hear uh, the cry of our hearts and the names that are on our hearts and the people that we love. And um, we pray that you would open up opportunities and, and doors for us to be able to bring the news that is good, that brings healing, that brings new identity, that brings transformation and, and purpose to our lives, and that ultimately brings uh, the redemption of what's broken and, and, and what's wrong. So would you provide opportunities for us, Lord? And, and we don't want to be fearful. We don't want to have to figure out every time what we would say. We want to trust that as we are in those moments, the Holy Spirit will lead us and, and guide us. And we'll be given the words, especially as we, we reflect on, on, on the essence of what the gospel is. And so lead us into that, we pray in Jesus' name. Very good, very good. So we're a people of hope. We're people of hope, and we have opportunity to share the hope that is in us when God provides that opportunity. But we're also people of healing. You see that in the text that we're looking at, verse 23? Jesus went around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and 
healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So we're people of hope, but we're also people of healing. When, when Jesus taught, he also healed. And it was a kind of a confirmation of the coming of the kingdom of heaven in, his li- in their lives. That's why they all flocked to Jesus and they followed him. and They wanted to be around him because something was happening, happening around this man. And we can pray for people too, that they would experience healing and, and transformation and, and change in their lives. It, it seems that the kind of change that followed Jesus around was holistic. You know, it was physical, it was emotional, it was mental, it was all of those pieces together. And we have the privilege of praying for the people that we love, that God would heal them, would work in their lives. And I think, I was trying to think back, I think there's only one time in my life where I said, oh, can I pray for you to somebody who was not a, a believer in Jesus? I said, can I pray for you? And they said, no, please don't. And even then, I prayed for them anyway, right? So, um, you know, if you say to somebody, can I pray for you in that? Um, most people are going to be touched and encouraged. And it's such a great way to open the conversation. And so um, I want to invite you, and you think about those people that you've been, that you've been, we just prayed for, and maybe you'll have an opportunity to pray for them, or pray with them even. Sometimes you might even step out in that way and say, can I pray for you right now? And of course, we've got to be sensitive to this and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But, but, but that may be a big part of way, the way somebody comes to understand the gospel is when they experience God's healing work in their lives. And we can't cut that off as a possibility because that's the way God seems to work through Jesus Christ. Now, um, if we're going to be those kinds of prayers, we have, to, we have to experience God's healing first, right? We have to come to Jesus and let him work in our lives and bring the healing that needs to take place so that we can go out and be the ones praying for healing. I remember when our old district superintendent came and preached to Solano one time. He said, here's my spiritual test, kind of to think about my own spiritual health. And this always stuck with me. He didn't say, you know, do I read my Bible so many times? Or am I basically happy? Or am I successful in the spiritual things? He said, here's my test to know whether or not I'm really, you know, walking with the Lord uh, in the way that he would call call me to. He said, if I can't rattle off 20 ways in which I desperately need God right now, then I probably have to be worried about my spiritual health. That comes right out of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see, the, the test for our spiritual health is not that we've, we've passed all the, the exams with flying colors and we look good on the outside. It's, it's, it's not success, it's dependency. It's dependency. So what are some ways in which you need the Lord this morning? Think about your life. This is part of you becoming healed to become a healing agent in the world. Think about the different aspects of your life. And if you need to close your eyes and, and sort of give yourself some space to reflect in that way, you can. But you know, what, what, what are your needs? What are your needs? Do you, do you need to understand who God is more fully? And do you, have a, do you have a partial 
or, or misguided conception of who God is. And so you need, to, you need God to show you who he is. Do you, do, you, do you need a richer prayer life? So it's kind of the spiritual needs or your study of the scripture. Does it need to be more robust in your life? What is your spiritual need? Or, or, or what about your relationships with, with the people around you, with your family? Is there something broken in your family and you have a desperate need to see that fixed? Um, is, there, is there a relationship in your church that you're struggling with? Is there a ministry that you've been charged with that's difficult and you feel it's beyond your ability to carry it out? And so you have a need for God to intervene. Is it your conception of, of who you are? Do you struggle with your thought life and the brokenness of your past and perhaps what people have done to you, um, what you've done and maybe that's recurring and coming back to you and, and causing you to struggle. Maybe you have a, 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 an incorrect image of yourself, an ungodly image of yourself. You don't understand that you've been made in the image of God and redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so you feel worthless because you haven't really understood who you are in Christ. And so you have a need there. Or maybe it's at work. You've got some relationships that are really bringing you down and, and causing a great struggle um, maybe you, you, uh, you don't know what your calling is in life and you're wrestling through that. Those are needs that we have. Maybe it's the things of this world. Maybe it has to do with money or the, the items that we have. We, we live in a place where, you know, unlike any other time in the history of the world, we have so much and it can become a distraction to us. And so do we have a need? What are your top three needs right now? What are your top three needs? Think about them. got them identified? Now, it'd be great if we could list 20. We should be able to list 20. But three is a good start. We need to be a people who live out of a sense of dependency. I love the image that we get of these people following Jesus around. They're so enthusiastic, and they're just bringing all their problems, and they just saw in Jesus somebody who could address their needs. And as we approach Jesus in that way, we will be able to approach the world around us with the message that Jesus heals our brokenness. And so today as we take communion and as we sing, we're going to have a time of worship. We're going to have an extra number of prayer, uh, guide, guide, prayer people in the back who would be loved to pray with you. And so when you think of those three different things, I want to encourage you to be bold and courageous to go and get prayer in the back of the room. Or maybe there's somebody sitting next to you that you would like to pray for you. But let's together, when the church is gathered, the Holy Spirit is here. And let's together go to God and seek His healing. Seek His healing for what's broken in us. Let's pray to that end. Let's be, let's be warm to our needs. And let's be fearless. I think sometimes we, we hold too much in. And we miss some of the blessing that God has for us. Because we are a people of hope, number one, and we are a people of healing. So I'm going to invite you forward to share communion. And you can do that as you're ready in your timing. And then I'm going to invite you to uh, also worship throughout our communion time. And then as you come down the aisle and make your way back on the outside, you can stop by our prayer area. We'll have people there ready to pray for you. So we'd love to pray on one or two or three of the needs that you've identified. 
um, and maybe some of the people even that you would like to be praying for. So we'll do that back there. We're reminded uh, of this whole gospel story in the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, before he went to the cross, the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you, that body that would go on the cross and be broken in order to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And we also remember that in the bread, we have that daily nourishment that we need, our spiritual nourishment. We find that in Jesus Christ. We need him every single day. The bread. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus Christ was willing to pour out his blood for our sakes. Um, the, the life is in the blood, the, the Bible says. And so his atoning sacrifice was effective. His perfect blood was shed and made the sacrifice effective for us so that we might be forgiven from sin. When you come up, we like to say um, Christ's body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if he's your Lord and your Savior, you come forward today. Don't be shy and, and take the bread and dip it in the cup and be reminded of the grace of God in your life. If you're seeking the Lord and you're asking questions and you don't know where you are in the process, um, I invite you to pray, you know, Jesus, show yourself to me today if you're there. And if today he does show himself to you and you're ready to come to Jesus in faith, then I invite you to come to this table. What a, there's no better way to start your walk with Jesus Christ than to come to the table and receive communion with the body of Christ. And we want to celebrate with you. So come to that table if that's, if that's you today. God, would you meet us in our need, meet us at the table, meet us with your grace, meet us with your goodness, your kindness which has been poured out on us your gift in the work of Jesus Christ. Send us from this place as citizens and ambassadors, strong in our identity in you, and purposeful in our lives being lived for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.